we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you. Thanks for that welcome. Thanks for the welcome. And welcome to the very end of our Unstoppable series. Today we have to stop an Unstoppable series, which sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? But we're going to do it by focusing in on the way that God so transforms us that we can be unstoppable in spite of all the challenges that we face. That's what this series has been about. It's not that we're unstoppable because of who we are, but we're unstoppable because of who God is. Amen? We serve an unstoppable God, and in spite of everything that life throws at us, we can be more than conquerors, overcomers, through God's help. And that's the focus. As Paul finishes this letter to the Thessalonians, he brings it all to land on a prayer. I don't know if you heard it just then, but it's a beautiful prayer where Paul prays with such confidence for the unstoppable transformation of God's people. I've put a, my own paraphrase version together. This is what Paul prays, and I want this to really inspire us about how confident we can be that God's got a vision for our lives, and he's committed to transforming us from the inside out. Here's my paraphrase of Paul's closing prayer. May God totally transform you from the inside out, so when Jesus returns, you'll be sorted and spotless. And then he says this, God is 100% reliable, and he says, I will do it. Isn't that great news? In the end, all the attention goes back, not on us, but on God. He says, I will do it. He will transform us if we let him, so that the beautiful image of God will be once again seen in people like us. Now that's the promise. And it's a promise we need to get hold of, especially when there can be times in our lives where we wonder, am I ever going to make it, right? Will I ever finally get there to be the finished article that God wants me to be? Just out the back of our house where we live, over our back fence, there's a property development going on at the moment, and it's six houses, three of which went up, they threw it up in no time. People have been living in them for a couple of years, actually. So you've got three houses built, and then another three... And they put the foundations in at the same time as the others, built about half the walls, and then stopped. 
And so you've got this slightly eerie scene. It's a bit eerie, isn't it? Buildings that are unfinished, standing there with a sort of, sort of hollow, empty feel to them, half-built houses. And as you sort of think of that picture, you know, for some of us, our spiritual lives might be like the first three houses. We've made great progress and we're feeling really encouraged by where we're going. But others of us may feel like those other three houses. I don't doubt those three houses that are sort of half-built have wondered, has the builder given up on us, right? Hear them talking to each other, those houses. You know, are we ever going to make it? Well, the good news is, about two months ago, after months, actually years of nothing, nothing but weeds growing, two months ago, the noise started again, the builders were back in, the roofs are now on, and we're told people are moving in in September, right? Transformation. And as it turns out, the builder hadn't given up on these houses. He was actually working beneath the surface, sorting out some groundworks so that they could be completed. I want to encourage you today, God does not give up on his people. He doesn't leave half-finished humans unfinished projects, right? We have a God, as he says in Philippians 1, Paul uh, in another letter in Philippians says that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion, right? We have a God who is a completer finisher, He started on us and he will finish with us. That's his commitment. Paul says, he who called you is faithful and he will do it. If you're a Christian, God is the builder. God the builder, right? Can he fix it? Will he give up on us? No, he will not. He who called you is faithful and he will do it. In fact, God already has a vision, if you're a Christian, he already has a vision of you and I as the finished article. He's already seen the moment when Jesus Christ returns and as Paul prayed it, God will present us spotless and blameless. He's already seen Andrew Ollerton, the finished article, and with that vision for my life, he gets to work right now, chipping away at me to change me. Now that I find profoundly encouraging. I was uh, hearing about the famous sculptor and painter Michelangelo, and his work happened in a similar way. He would get a vision for a work, take for example a sculpture he wanted to create, he'd see the sculpture in his mind's eye. He'd get a vision for it, and then with that vision in mind, he would go to the quarry where they were cutting out blocks of marble, and he would find one where he could almost see the sculpture, the vision he had, in that block. And he would take that block then to the workshop and there he would begin with hammer and chisel to chip away until the vision emerged out of the block. Now take that as a brilliant picture for this passage. Paul starts with the vision in that prayer. God has a vision for your life to so transform you that you will be the beautiful finished article restored to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. He's got that vision. And now with blockish me, (laughs) he takes out, as you can see here, his hammer and chisel, and he begins to chip away at our lives to, or as Paul puts it, may God sanctify you through and through. Think hammer and chisel as you hear sanctify. It means to cut away, to strip away sin and excess and rubbish that what may emerge is the beautiful vision of total, unstoppable transformation for our lives. Now that's the vision, that's the promise, God says, I'll do it. If you commit your life to God today, wherever you're at and wherever you're from, if you commit your life to God today, he's got a vision for your life and he says, I'll do it. 
That's the promise, but we want to focus today then on the process by which that promise is realized. How does God do it, right? How does he get us from where we are now to where we one day will be? If you are an artist or if you've ever seen an artist or a sculptor or a potter at work, you'll, as you can see here, it's a messy process, right? We love the finished article that appears on the shelf. We love the product, but the process to get that product involves a lot of mess, painstaking work, chipping away and sorting things out. That's our focus today then, the painstaking process by which God is going to get us to be those finished articles. Three things that God uses to transform us. The first is that God transforms us through other people. So relate well. God transforms us through other people. We need to relate well. It is God who transforms us, but he uses the very ordinary people around us and brings people into our lives with that vision in mind that we might be transformed by other people. In other words, transformation cannot happen in isolation. Transformation cannot happen in isolation. Now that's the headline. But Paul unpacks it in verse 12 to 13 by focusing on the leaders that God brings into our lives and then we'll have a look at some of the others as well. Firstly, Paul notes that God brings leaders into our lives as his hammer and chisel to transform us. Now, leadership in all levels can be this, but Paul particularly is focused here on church leaders, pastoral leaders in our lives, those who help us grow. Paul describes those in the church who are in leadership as those who are over you in the Lord. And in the message translation, verse 12, it says, those who urge and guide you along in your obedience. So God's put leaders alongside us. They're over us in the Lord. And their purpose and goal is to help us realize the vision of transformation. They're there for our good. Now, Paul notes a couple of things about leaders pastoral leaders. They were, these things were true in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, and they're true in Kingsgate right now. Firstly, he notes that these leaders work hard. They work hard. He says of, of their work that they labor among you. It's the word used for manual labor, for heavy lifting. Some of you may be in jobs where you, you sweat a lot in your job because you're lifting and you're toiling hard. Now listen, I appreciate your average pastor doesn't do much heavy lifting. Would you agree? But that doesn't mean they don't work hard. They work really hard in order to be part of the process of transformation in our lives. Now that's very true in Kingsgate. I know behind the scenes that to provide all the courses and resources and events that transform us, people work hard here. Should we... Shall we give a round of applause from life group leaders to our senior pastors? Hard work. Amen. Leaders work hard. And Paul notes that their work is hard. <laughs> they work hard and sometimes their work is hard because they've got to be involved in helping people like us. <laughs> and that's hard work. In fact, Paul notes uh, a phrase he uses, verse 12, is that leaders are those who admonish you. Admonish is a hammer and chisel kind of word because it means to correct where someone is not getting it right. And that can be hard. 
Leaders work hard and their work is hard because their part of their process is to have the guts sometimes to tell us things that we need to hear that might not be easy. In Thessalonica, it seems like some of the church were being incredibly generous and hardworking. Others were sort of sponging off that a bit, not really contributing. And part of what the leaders are being asked to do by Paul is encourage those who are not pulling their weight to do so. That's admonishing. That's hammer and chisel and it can be hard. And receiving that admonishing can be hard. I think back to a time when I was about 19 and I'd started going out with Charlotte, who is, who is now my wife and at the time girlfriend. And when we started going out together, I can't quite remember the details, but perhaps I wasn't always getting it absolutely right in the way we were handling our relationship. And so one of the elders of the church I was part of had the guts to phone me up and talk to me about some areas he thought I needed to do a little bit differently. Now, I have to be honest with you, sanctified though I am now, of course, at the time, <laughs> my reaction was, mind your own business, mate. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Stay out of my life. But I grew up a little bit <laughs> and realized, no, hang on, here is a leader, an elder with wisdom, and he's wanting to help me. He's wanting to input so that I can be saved from a whole load of stuff that I don't want in my life. So actually I realized, no, no, this admonishing is good for me. It's the hammer and chisel. It's all part of God's purpose because he's got a vision for my life. He wants me to experience transformation. And here's the part of the, part of the solution. Leaders then play a crucial role in our lives. And Paul therefore summarizes our attitude as this. Respect those who are over you in the Lord. Don't react. Respect invite into our lives, not an independent mindset that says, I'll do my life my way, stay out of it, but I want to embrace all the wisdom that's here for me, including from those who are in leadership over me. Amen? God's given us leaders. Relate well to them because they're the hammer and chisel in the divine hand for our transformation. And then Paul also notes, as well as leaders, God brings other people into our lives. Relate well to difficult people. <laughs> a bit more of a challenge here, but in verse 14, Paul says, live in peace with one another. Now, I don't know about you, that's easy for him to say. Have you met the lady that I have to work with? <laughs> or the bloke in our life group? Or the mother-in-law as part of our family, right? Those are all not actual scenarios in my life, I hasten to add. The mother-in-law is coming to stay today, so I just want to qualify. Love her to bits. But no doubt there are people in our lives, joking apart, that we have struggled with. Maybe right now, some difficult people. The Bible's actually very honest about the fact that sometimes relationships can be hard work, whether that's in the office or in the home or family, wherever it may be. Here's how the message translates verse 14 in our passage. Be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. It's just very real, isn't it? Warts and all, sometimes relationships can be tough. And here's the thing. We need to realize that a growth mindset says, actually, the very people in my life that I might struggle to get on with, could they actually be part of God's process for my transformation? Now, that switches things around, doesn't it? Instead of thinking they're the problem, what if they are my opportunity to grow and change? Paul says in this passage, be patient, right? Well, how am I going to learn patience? It's not a free download on the internet, is it? How do you get patience? 
For example, if, my, if, if our Heavenly Father wanted my wife Charlotte to grow in extraordinary levels of patience, what kind of person might he bring into her life? Hey? Yeah, watch it. I know, I know what you're thinking. That's the way it works though, isn't it? Patience and perseverance, you can't download these things. You've got to grow in them. And people around us help us grow. Difficult people, you might know one, you might be one, right? (laughs) It cuts both ways, this. God brings people into our lives and they help us grow. Let me put it this way. How would you get a rough, angular rock like this to become a beautiful, smooth pebble like this? What's the process of transformation? We've seen these on the beach. They're beautiful. How does this become this? Well, the way it works is that thousands of these are rolled around in the sea, banging up against each other, chipping into each other, and eventually they knock all the rough edges off and out comes this a few thousand years later, right? That's life, folks, isn't it? God has brought into our lives some people who can feel a bit angular, a bit awkward at times, but could it be that their rough edges are exactly my opportunity to grow and change? that I might be the finished article that God wants me to be. That's a whole other way of looking at the people around us. Amen? Instead of thinking, how can I get rid of them? (laughs) We need to be thinking, how can I grow through this person? Instead of thinking, how can I get them back? We need to be thinking, how can I bless and be kind to them? I encourage you, if you're in a context now at work or at home or wherever it may be, and you're thinking, to be honest, I don't need this. To be honest, I don't feel like I should have to put up with this. Just be careful before you walk away. What if that person, that situation, is actually part of the divine sculptor's plan to transform us from the inside out? Amen? God uses people to transform us so relate well. And then secondly, God uses, God transforms us through circumstances So rejoice always. God transforms us through circumstances. Rejoice always. In verse 16 to 18, we find the most famous verses in 1 Thessalonians where Paul highlights the kind of attitude that we need to have in every circumstance that we're in. We may not be able to change our circumstances, but we can change our attitude in them. And the kind of attitude that can be unstoppable in spite of every challenge we face, the kind of attitude that instead of going under our circumstances can actually rise over them, that attitude is described in these beautiful verses, verse 16 to 18. You'll see them here on the screen. Perhaps we could all read these verses together. Let's say together. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Notice then, Paul identifies three things. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks, and then he concludes, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now I imagine many of us have, over the years, have wondered and at times wrestled with the question, what is God's will for my life? And often when we answer that question, we look out of the window and imagine other scenarios that we might live in, other circumstances, and think, if only that was true of my life, then I could fulfill God's will for me. 
We live in one particular house, but we spend a lot of time on right move imagining another house and thinking, if that was my house, then I could be fulfilled in God's will. Or maybe a job, and you spend a lot of time looking at other jobs, looking out the window, or maybe a relationship, and you're not in one, and you, you are in one, and we, people spend a lot of time on dating apps and all sorts, imagining scenarios out of the window, the assumption being that for me to fulfill God's will means some other set of circumstances than the ones I'm in right now. Here's the challenge of verse 16 to 18. Effectively, they say to us, stop looking out the window. Get yourself back in the room. Right here and right now, we can fulfill God's will for our lives. Why? Well, because this is the will of God for you, Paul says, that you rejoice always, that you pray continually, and you give thanks in every circumstance. That's the will of God for you. Remember... Remember the beginning of this message. God's got a vision for our lives. He wants to see us transformed. And as well as using other people, God can use our circumstances, however challenging they may seem to us, our circumstances can also be the divine hammer and chisel that change us and transform us from the inside out. You see, we live in a world that looks out the window because we're constantly seeking our happiness. But we serve a God who is actually desiring our holiness. And he can bring that about in and through the circumstances that we're in if we adopt an attitude that says, God, in spite of the challenges and in spite of all the things that I wish would change, I'm going to discover how to fulfill your will right here and right now. Amen? Enough looking out the window. How can I be transformed where I'm at today? Well, the answer is given in this threefold appeal. Firstly, Paul says, be joyful. Be joyful. Now, notice he doesn't say, be happy, but be joyful. They're not the same thing. Happiness depends on what happens, right? Happiness depends on what happens. It's circumstantial. It comes and goes. But Paul says not be happy, but be joyful. This isn't about a fake smile or a sort of spiritual fake tan that pretends life's amazing when it isn't. This is about a deeper thing than that. It's an attitude that says, whatever circumstances I'm in, God is good and he's got a good plan for my life. I'm not going to go under in an attitude of self-pity and of grumbling, I'm going to come over these circumstances by being joyful in the Lord. It's the kind of attitude that changes what's going on because of the atmosphere that we bring to it. And it's a conviction. Whatever's happening, God's good, and he's got a good plan for my life. We had a life in our own life group. One of our life group turned up a couple of weeks ago and announced really sadly that he'd lost his job. He'd been, had his job taken away very suddenly and actually seemingly very unfairly. And then he said this, he said what, what amazed him is his wife, who also is part of the church, his wife, he came home having just lost his job, announced it to his wife for the first time, and, she, and he said, and the amazing thing is, he said, the missus said, don't worry, God will take care of us, and he'll bring good out of this. And I thought that's an extraordinary attitude, isn't it? That's what Paul's talking about here. It's looking to see how God, in spite of the challenges, will bring good from them. Now that kind of attitude, be joyful, rises over our circumstances and sees God's good purpose in and through it. 
It's been said you can't stop the storms rolling in, but you can learn to sing in the rain. Amen? The storms of life will roll in. That's inevitable. What's up for grabs is our attitude when they come. And I want to encourage us to be those who sing in the rain. What a glorious feeling. Amen? Some of us this morning, as we've worshipped, may have been singing in the rain. Because actually some challenges are coming in our lives, but we've turned up to determine, I'm not going under these things. I'm going to be joyful and rise over them, giving my trust and obedience to the Lord. Be joyful always. Pray continually. That's the next thing Paul says. Have you noticed that prayer develops in tough circumstances? Our prayer lives take a step forwards when we feel out of our depth and we're up against it because we learn to fully rely on God in new ways. And notice Paul says, pray continually. Whatever your circumstances, you can always pray. Pray whatever's happening and pray for whatever you need. Not just super spiritual prayers. You can pray for very practical things as well. Pray continually. I learned this a lot from my mother who prays a lot and prays at times for some very practical things. And I can remember, aged 14, I needed a new school blazer. And uh, unfortunately, my school was clever. They wouldn't sell the, the sort of badges that you could sew onto a cheap blazer. You could only get the blazer from the school shop where it was incredibly expensive. So my mum said to me, you need a school blazer, and the bad news is, we can't afford one. Now, for a 14-year-old, that instills mild panic, right? You don't want to be the kid that turns up to school without a blazer. So I was beginning to get a bit freaked out by this, and I remember my mum saying, don't worry, she said, we'll pray about it. And I laughed, to be honest. I thought, you can't pray about blazers, right? Come on, mum. What's God going to do? Make a blazer? (laughs) That's ridiculous. So she prayed. I didn't pray. She prayed. Um, And then uh, we went into town, and she pulled up outside a charity shop. I can still remember the row of shops. She pulled up outside it where we lived. This is about 12, maybe more miles from my school. And she said, just go in, in, in the shop and see what you can find. So rather reluctantly, I went into the shop. On the right of the door, I can still remember the rack of clothes. There, on that rack, was my Hampton School blazer in exactly the size that I needed, sitting right in front of me. It turns out you can pray for blazers. (laughs) Pray continually, Paul says. Whenever and whatever you need, learn to pray. And sometimes the very fact that we didn't have the money, which was the challenge, actually became the opportunity to see that God is faithful and he answers prayer. In the tough times, pray continually. In the good times, pray continually and learn to put our trust fully in God. Be joyful, be prayerful. And then finally, Paul says, be thankful. Be thankful. Whatever's happening, don't become someone who, where the soundtrack of your life is one of miserable grumbling. Be someone who's full of gratitude because in spite of whatever we're facing, God has blessed us in innumerable ways. Amen? So be thankful, Paul says. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now notice with me, he doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances, but in. The words are important here, even the detail. Because there are some things that can happen in our lives that are not God's direct will for us, and we can't give thanks for evil things that happen. You may have experienced or maybe going through some things that are really wrong, evil, wrong. Paul doesn't say give thanks for all things, 
He says, give thanks in all things. Notice the difference. There are some things you can't give thanks for, but you can always give thanks in every circumstance. Because whatever is going on, God is still good, and he's still with us, and he can still work all things together for our good and transformation. And that's what Paul's getting at. Be thankful in all circumstances. Now, for some of us, we may be in a season of life where the sun is shining, And actually, we can give thanks for the things that are happening. New provision, a new job, new finance, new health opportunity, whatever it may be. Well, then give thanks for your circumstances. Others of us, we may be in circumstances where actually we have to be more disciplined at reminding ourselves of all the blessings of God in spite of some of the things that are happening right now. Well, that's a challenge that we need to take on. I find it helpful to look at a psalm, like Psalm 103, for example. The psalmist there, obviously facing some challenges, is talking to himself, and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that is within me bless his holy name. Come on, soul, he says. Bless the Lord, and forget not all of his benefits. And then he lists them. He forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, and so on and so on. In other words, the psalmist is saying, in spite of the things that are tough, I'm going to bless the Lord. I'm not going under in self-pity or anger. I'm rising over in an attitude of gratitude that will give thanks in every circumstance. Amen? Be joyful. Be prayerful. Be thankful. And as we take on that attitude... We fulfill the will of God. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Without needing to climb out the window and change our circumstances, we can fulfill God's will by being joyful and thankful and prayerful, whatever is happening. And as we do so, we find that because of our attitude, embracing the challenge and trusting the Lord, we are transformed through the difficult times, God has used tough circumstances as the hammer and chisel for our transformation. Amen? God uses people, even difficult people, to transform us, so relate well. He uses circumstances, even tough circumstances, to transform us, so rejoice always. And then thirdly and finally, God transforms us over the long haul, so remain expectant. Let me sum up this message. Sometimes it's helpful just to put things really simply, isn't it? So let me just sum up this message really simply. Here on the screen you can see a simple equation to sum the whole thing up. OP plus TC times Y plus Y equals UT. Is that helpful? God bless you. Have a great week. (laughs) OP, other people, plus TC, tough circumstances, times years and years equals unstoppable transformation. See, it is quite simple after all, isn't it? But it's the years and years bit of the equation that I just want to finish by underscoring. God uses other people and tough circumstances, and he does it for the long haul. Over years and years, he is chipping away to create the masterpiece, his vision for our transformation. And so we need to learn that the Christian life is not a short-haul flight or a quick sprint. It requires the attitude that says, I'm going to remain expectant even when it seems to be taking longer than I'd hoped. 
That may well be the context in Thessalonica for Paul's final exhortation to this church. No doubt they'd had some amazing prophecies spoken over them, and they knew God's great promises in their lives, but they'd also faced some real challenges. And real challenges can have the effect of sort of dumbing down our confidence. They can grind us down a bit until we start to lose that spiritual fire and expectancy. We become a bit stagnant and almost even a bit cynical. And so Paul's final exhortation is remain expectant. It might take some time, but God has not stopped working. Amen? The builder is still on the job, even if you don't feel like it's happening as quickly as you thought. So remain expectant. Here's how Paul sums it up. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he says this. Do not, do not put out the Spirit's fire. And do not treat prophecies with contempt. Don't dampen down your expectancy. Keep your spiritual fire burning. In other words, over years and years, remain expectant. The prophecies are still good. Amen? The promises are still true. We have an unstoppable God who makes unbreakable promises And it might take longer than we thought, but we need to remain expectant because what he started, he will finish. Amen? He who began a good work in you, he'll see it through to completion. He's still on the job. He's still chipping away, working sometimes under the surface. So don't lose hope and don't lose heart and don't lose sight of where this whole thing is headed. We are in for unstoppable transformation when we give our lives to Jesus Christ He who called you is faithful, and he will do it. I remember, thank you, I remember a little while ago climbing uh, on a a mountain adventure with my father, and on the way down, he decided to take a shortcut through a forest plantation. And as we cut through, there was no path, as it turned out, and we were pushing our way through branches, thick forestry, stumbling over roots and rough ground, getting faces scratched in the process, and I quickly lost heart that this was a good move, a shortcut, as he called it. And I think it was, you know, a few minutes in, I was stumbling and grumbling and cross and frustrated, and eventually we came to a small clearing where there was a tree that I was able to climb. And so, a good little survival tip, if you don't know where you're going, try and find a high point to see, right? So I climbed to the top of the tree, and out from the top, I was able to see over the plantation to see the big picture. I got the vision back. I realized as I looked back, we had made real progress. And I realized as I looked forwards, we were heading in the right direction. The car and home were over this way. And getting that vision back, the big picture, I climbed back down into the thick of it with new expectancy and energy. Let's do this thing, right? We are making progress. We are on the way home. Our Heavenly Father knows what He's doing with our lives. And I pray that this message has taken you to the top of the tree where you can see over your tough circumstances and challenges and realize, actually, he knows what he's doing with us. He's taking us home, so let's get back down into the thick of it with fresh expectancy and energy in Jesus' name. Amen? We're on a course for unstoppable transformation, so let's learn to relate well, rejoice always, and remain expectant in Jesus' name. And with that in mind, to wrap up this whole series, I want to just finish by praying over everyone here and everyone watching the closing prayer 
of this fantastic letter, here's Paul's prayer for unstoppable transformation. We've seen the process, the things God uses, but here's the promise that he will do it. So receive this prayer in Jesus' name. Paul says this, now may the God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole being be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful and he will do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.